today I'm very, very, very excited. Jason Skiri, Professor Jason Skiri, should I say, is one of my favorite people on planet Earth. And he laughs every time I say that. But You're one of my favorite people. I <laughs> Uh, we, I, every single time I sit down to talk to him, I am, I think, mesmerized is the word <laughs> by the thought and the fact that we're all philosophers, which he always tells me, right? And, and I always am interested in picking his brain about happiness and, and what philosophy can teach us about living a good life. So we just thought we would sit down and have a conversation and, and maybe uh, share a few tips for, for our audience. Excited? Do you want to say anything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to say if it wasn't for you, Yasna, I wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing right now. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, think, I think I just maybe nudged you along a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you, you nudged me along and um, kind of moved me in a different direction from where I was at because I was just teaching, um, you know, kind of academic philosophy where, you know, I'm in the classroom and I'm lecturing and it's great, you know, and you talk about questions. Um, about, you know, what is reality? You know, is there a God? What's the relationship between your mind and your brain? Do you have free will? Um, what do you know and how do you know it? And that's great for, you know, teaching undergraduates and I really have a great time, but I've always been interested in applying that knowledge to our lives. And uh, that's the kind of turn that you helped me like, make. Like I had to like, jump in with both feet, right? Um, and so now what I'm doing is uh, setting up groups, like little, on meetup, like a little meetup group where we take a particular philosophical text or some, maybe some literature and we read it and then we sit down and we talk about how, what, we, what we've learned from it and how we can apply it to our lives, right? And that's one of the most um, important things for me when it comes to philosophy is how do we live flourishing lives, right? How do we live a full human life? Mm -hmm. And I believe that philosophy has a lot to say about that. So then what would you say, what is the definition of philosophy? The definition of philosophy, that is a very difficult question. And I think even philosophers um, argue about what that is. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I'd like to distinguish between, you could say, academic or theoretical philosophy, okay. right? Like me teaching in the classroom and talking about um, general ideas about reality or knowledge or um, like what is justice or the good or something like that, um, versus what I call a, like applied philosophy mm -hmm. of how you apply, you know, philosophical principles to your life. Um, and this tradition of applied philosophy or practical philosophy goes all the way back to Socrates, right? Where Socrates, you know, uh, wandered around the marketplace and questioned people about their lives. And so Socrates famously said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah. But didn't, didn't, what I, when I read, I thought, um, I read somewhere that he made people uncomfortable by asking them that question. Why is that? <laughs> Well, at one level, we, a lot of people don't want to really think about their lives, I guess, like deeply. I'm, I'm sure people think about their lives, but thinking about it like deeply, like what are the organizing beliefs that you could say govern our lives or 
part shape our lives. I mean, our organizing beliefs are those that even shape the way we even see the world, right? And how we understand that. And uh, I think a lot of people, they think about their lives, but maybe not um, deeply. And so Socrates would question them um, that about means. that. And so, also, one more thing about Socrates is that he would always go up to experts in a particular field. Like, he would go up to a general and ask them, what is courage, okay. right? And through question and answer, he would come to realize, the general would realize, but not admit, that he claims to know what courage is, but when in fact, he really doesn't know. Oh, right? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. And so, Socrates would say, I mean, there's a famous story where his friend Chirophon went to the Delphi Oracle, um, this very famous oracle in Greece, and he asked the oracle... Is there anyone wiser than Socrates? And uh, the oracle responds back, no one is wiser than Socrates. And so he came back and told Socrates that, and Socrates was puzzled. He's like, why would I be the wisest person? I really don't know anything. And so he went around and started questioning people, um, trying to see if they knew more than him, right? So he went to the politicians. They didn't seem to know anything. Um, the poets. Um, some people, the craftsmen knew something like practical, like how to make shoes or whatever the case may be. But he says, but in the end he realizes, but the reason why I'm wiser than other people is that I know that I don't know. Oh, right? th that's, that's powerful, which is very difficult to admit, I think, in a, in a society where we pride ourselves on knowing and we don't ever want to look less than never want to make a mistake <laughs> or be wrong mm -hmm. right but that's part of learning that's part of growing as a person mm -hmm. is recognizing your mistakes mm -hmm. um, learning from those mistakes or and also what's very interesting about Socrates too is that if you think you know everything you're not going to learn anything True. right mm -hmm. like you have to the first step to knowledge is to realize that you don't know to realize you I don't like know that. something, right? So the first step to knowledge mm -hmm. is to recognize your own ignorance. It's to recognize that you don't know something. I love that. And so with the Socratic method, that's the first step. That's why he would pester you, to get you to realize that what you think you know, you don't know. Right. And then the second stage. So you're talking yeah. about this, yeah. just so people yeah, know, sorry. you're talking about <laughs> the Socratic method, which is, yeah. to me, a very fascinating process and, and it really puts things into perspective I'm actually going to do a separate video a little bit of a tutorial for people on, on mm -hmm. how to do that but would you walk us through that so this is it's called a Socratic method right yes and it's what is it meant to do well it's it's meant to give rise to knowledge okay. right? through conversation and what's interesting about Socrates um, that knowledge is gained through social interaction, through talking with other people, right? It's not just reading the books and consuming. No, Socrates did not write anything down. He was always very active. It was a, he felt that philosophy was a social activity. I love that, okay. Yeah. And, so, and so what you would do is get together with somebody and um, you would try to come up with, you try to answer particular questions, like maybe what is justice or what's the good life or something like that. And then you try to come up with a definition that is able to capture, you could say, all instances 
or what you would think would be the good life, right? Okay. And so sometimes your definition can be too wide mm -hmm. and capture those things that are not just or maybe not good or beautiful or something like that. Um, or your definition might be too narrow where you're missing certain aspects or instances of beauty or justice. Okay. And so what you want to do is kind of get the Goldilocks kind of definition for that. Okay, what does that mean, Goldilocks? The Goldilocks, like the, the perfect definition that Got captures it. like everything. That's kind of the, and so you move through definitions, counterexamples, until you refine that definition, until you get that Goldilocks definition. That's kind of the technical five-step process of the Socratic method, but another most important thing is what we just talked about, is getting you to realize that what you think you know, you don't know, is the best for you to, through that interaction, you're like, oh, maybe I really don't know what justice is, or maybe I really don't know what the good life is, right? And so then... Yeah, instant, yeah. What, what, yeah. What comes to mind right now, because I always yeah. want to make it practical, is that, so for example, if you believe something really strongly, and we follow that, and someone starts to question it, then we start to realize that we may have been following out of ignorance or not true knowledge. Yes. Okay. I would definitely say that. Okay. Yep. So you're following something that you think is true. And then when someone questions it, you can get irritated, like, oh my God, I've set my life according to these particular set of beliefs, and now someone is challenging those beliefs. And so that can be very... Um, painful. Yes. A realization. Painful. Let's make it yeah. even more practical. Yeah. Would you walk me through a Socratic method? <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? No. So to make well, it very practical. Or give me an example of something that's real, that can be really, really, really applied to um, everyday life. Oh my, <laughs> that's a hard one because for Socrates, it's more of a kind of a conceptual exercise, right? It is. Um, but he would say that in order to know, in order to pick out what is just, you have to know what is just. In order to pick out what is good, you have to know that it's good. Okay. So, you know, for example, um, if, if someone is, walking around with the belief that the world is a hostile place how would a socratic method help them come to an understanding now i understand okay where you're going. um one would be to ask some questions about like why do you think it's hostile mm -hmm. give me some examples mm -hmm. like or even what do you mean by hostile mm -hmm. right is it warfare is it psychological hostility or like exactly um, what you mean by yeah that. yeah what do you actually mean by hostile and then digging down into their beliefs of why they think the world is hostile like are there some underlying um beliefs that are kind of motivating that and those beliefs can be unconscious you know um yeah most of them yeah are. yeah, most yeah. Of them are. And a lot of these, what I call organizing beliefs, um, are developed in like childhood, with your interaction with your caregiver and people around you. Um, and you start building this particular system and that can give you a different, like a view of the world that may be true or may be false. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that helps me, and I don't know if this is the part of the Socratic method, is to, if, I know that, uh, that, or 
or in starting to question my own truth, I find um, evidence to support the contrary. So I look for, um, you know, I, I would, you know, when people come to me and they say, well, it's really, you know, people are really yeah. not nice. And I say, yeah. well, do you know anyone who's nice? Yes. So kind yes. of counter that. Because yes. then if every people are not nice, but you know a lot of people who are really nice and kind, then that starts to question that internally. Yes, that's perfect. That's perfect for like a, a counterexample to their beliefs. Okay. Right? And so at one level, you can try to understand what do they mean by hostile or like why no one is, there's no good people out there or something like that. And another thing, if they do believe that, that's like a, a categorical belief that they have that all people are bad or something like that. It's perfect to come up with a counterexample. That's okay. what you know, maybe Socrates would do that, right? Come up with a counterexample. So this is an uncomfortable practice. It doesn't. It doesn't feel good to question something. You know, like you mentioned, something you might have based your entire life on. Yeah, for sure. And it can be humbling. To right? do that. But also, if you can get past that, mm-hmm. it can be. It can. The whole world can open up to you. Right? If, if you think that you don't have any friends or something, so sometimes I, I, you know, I talk to people that I just don't have any friends. And then again, coming up with that counterexample, you know, what about the person at the coffee shop? Or what mm. about, they're like, oh yeah, you know, maybe I do have some friends. And they're like, well, hold on a second. Why don't you foster those relationships? Right? And so they can open up. It just can open up a whole new world and a whole new view of things. And it's going to make you feel so much better. Oh my God, I have friends like all around me. Right? There are people that love me. Right. right? So it's an I don't know that I don't know kind of thing, right? Yeah, it's like... This realization that really has the potential to change What you think you everything. know, you don't know. So you think you have no friends. Okay. But in fact, you really do, do. have friends. But it's how we take, how we look at it, right? Um, you know, one of yeah. the things that I often ask people is what is wealth? Is it, is it having the money or is it good health? And based on where you are in your life, that definition is going to be different. That is a perfect start of a Socratic dialectic. What is wealth? Oh, right? okay. Is it just money? Right? Is it wealth of soul? <laughs> right? Or character? Mm-hmm. Like, like, what is wealth? I mean, that's a perfect, a perfect way to go about it. Okay. And so some would deny that. So you would go, <laughs> so, so, so you would go through like, okay, wealth means money right and then if you go through that you might realize hold on a second money is not going to give rise to happiness Mm -hmm. we all know that yeah we all know that but we still strive for that wealth right because we do think that maybe (laughs) we'd be happy but um but you could say and so you could say well hold on what about wealth of character Mm -hmm. or wealth of friendships um wealth of you could even say the environment so you can probably put those people, wealth could be a component, like a, a money could be a component, but these other components could help, I don't know, shape like a more well-rounded life. Okay. So, you know, I think what people should know, and we'll, we'll put a link to, uh, to, to your gatherings, monthly and bi-weekly gatherings. Yeah, it's bi-weekly. Yeah. So um, what I love, I always told, I've always told you, you need to be, speaking and engaging because you, it, there's so much to learn about life from, from you and from 
uh, from your teachings, because you, you really are a professor. You actually teach at the University of St. Thomas. You yeah. teach philosophy. Mm -hmm. So this attempt to bring it, bringing it to mass market in a very practical way really makes me hopeful because it's something we feel so far off and we uh, we don't really engage in philosophy much anymore um we know about philosophy like in the university behind you know the gates of the university and it's usually designed for undergraduates and of course graduate students but you take your philosophy class and you kind of move on with your life um, what i wanted to do is say hold on a second it's not only useful at the university it's very important um, but it's also useful for everybody, you should not stop learning once you get out of college or whatever the case may be, that this can be applied to your everyday life. And philosophers believe this. The famous Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius, mm -hmm. he believed that. He wrote this, what, what, he, what we call now the Meditations, which was a journal about how he can live a good life, mm -hmm. right? Reminders for him. So when he goes and um, conducts his day, he has reminders of how he should conduct himself. Um, and so Seneca was another example of someone who tried to apply philosophy everyday to, everyday life, life. to everyday life. And that's what I, I kind of want to, I want to bring that tradition back. And I think I'm starting right, you are. with the meetup groups and working with individual people. Okay. So we'll link the information to, to your meetup so people can come and examine, you know, examine their life. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious that why is it that it's difficult for us to examine our lives besides the fact that we're really busy or is that an excuse <laughs> well I think we've talked about it a little bit that we are busy we like to distract ourselves um, busy with our Facebook page and you know watching reality TV or whatever um, but it's also it can be as we just talked about can be challenging see how your life is going, right? Is it going in the right direction? Sometimes you need to take, I think you've talked about this a lot, you've got to take a step back, right? And kind of look at your life. And we're so busy with children, with kids, right? With school, with work, and all this stuff. Um, and so it's not just willful distraction, right? But it could be because we're, we're just so busy. We, it is. we pack our lives just totally full. We don't have time to, to step back and talk like we're we're doing now. So I'm curious. So you have two children, and you recently went through through um, a big transformation in your own life. Yeah, I went through um, the transition in my marriage. Right, my marriage ended, um, and it was very challenging for me. You know, I do have two kids, um, and so children do I, make it a lot more painful, don't they? Yeah, they do. But you know, if you do it right, and I don't know, I think I. I think I'm kind of proud of myself that I, I was able to step up and um, really make sure that you know everybody was okay, you know. And I think, yeah. And what helped me was going back in the tradition and reading Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and going back to Socrates. This, yeah, so I did go back and um, you know looked at different philosophers and read about their lives and how they conducted themselves or how they wanted to conduct themselves. This is not easy. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Um, and so I tried to look for role models to help guide me 
through the process. I also had, I also set up a support team. You, right? Friends, family, that I had a support team. And so it was through our, our exchanges and conversations that I had with you and your family and everything that I was able to get to know myself a little bit better and be like, who, who do I really want to be, right? Because of course we make mistakes when we're in relationships, you know? And uh, I don't want to repeat those, let's <laughs> put it that way. So I just want to, you know, reaffirm this. So role models, right? Importance of having role models. Tell me about that and where philosophies or any of the philosophical teachers go into that. Because I have, you know, you're one of my teachers. I have teachers, I have yeah. teachers everywhere I turn because I always look to outside of myself to reflect parts of myself. Yeah, um, Marcus Aurelius, going back to Marcus Aurelius, um, in the first book of his meditations, what does he talk about? He talks about his role models. He, he expresses gratitude to those teachers that were around him, mm -hmm. his father, um, his tutors, um, a bunch of different people that he talks about. And when he talked, he was grateful for um, their strong character, mm -hmm. their gentleness, um, their beauty um, and he talks about those things and so when I read that I'm like huh maybe I should look around and really try to find those role models I mean nobody's perfect um, well, we're all you yeah know I have a question <laughs> well, you, well you think everybody's perfect but I, I'll just say um, we're, we're we're fallible you know you make mistakes and so nobody you can't put someone on a pedestal they've done no wrong or they haven't erred in their lives um, but you can try to piece together those qualities that you would like to have, right, in yourself. Right. But to, by the way, to me, that's what perfection is. It's yeah. the little yeah. cracks. It's the yeah, mistakes. True. It's the to me that that's why I have this issue with perfection because yeah. you know it's it, that's what makes perf us perfect. Your you know shortcomings, my shortcomings. I think that's perfection to me. Yeah, it makes us unique people. It's so unique, you know? incredibly unique. And one thing that I did read that really struck me while I was going through um, my divorce, I read Nietzsche and I read his essay, Schopenhauer as Educator, and right in the beginning he says that, do you know how lucky you are to even be alive? Yes. Yeah, right? you can't even, stress that enough. Yeah, it's like, I mean, what are the chances that the universe would unfold in this way that we would be conscious, like, sentient beings here talking? I mean, how lucky can you possibly be? I mean, we don't realize that sometimes. The second point that you mentioned, surrounding yourself with the support group, with the community is going to lift you up. So that would be, like, a really practical thing. If you're going through something, the first thing you look to role models whether they're authors or you know living or n not living because most yeah. of your role models yeah. were <laughs> not living and then support yourself with the people who, are, who can really create the space for you to go on this journey that's very important for me no one told me that it was kind of instinctive because i was in a lot of pain and so i, I reached out um i just kind of instinctively reached out to, to people you know and i said you know i need somebody to kind of help me write myself to this. Yeah, but I think that's, it's very important to surround yourself 
And even if you don't have anybody, like, you know, close, you can go find people, right? I found you, right? Mm. You know, I found other people, yes. right? And so you can do that. There are people out there that are there for you that want to help you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, isn't that what we all want, that sense of connection, community? You know, it talks about, you know, uh, Socrates talking about this self-knowledge comes from interacting with others. Yeah. Or is it that the knowledge generally comes from interacting with, with others? Knowing yourself, you could say, can come from your relationships that you have with other people. You come to know yourself by having conversations with others. You can also get to know yourself by being by yourself, which is can be quite frightening. Like we, we don't want to be alone, right? But sometimes it's healthy to sit down and be alone and just be with yourself. So powerful. Yeah, it is. And just kind of see what happens. You never know what can happen, right? The pain that you may feel, um, you have to sit with that. And it's... That sucks. It does suck. <laughs> <laughs> it does suck, but sometimes you've got to move through that, right? But you have to experience, you don't want to just suppress it or try to say it's not happening. Those are the times where you do need to sit with yourself or talk with another person, which I think is very important, especially when it's really painful um, interacting and talking with another person. And they may say something, oh, that's right. And, yeah. And so interacting with another person, you're able to figure out who you are and they may say something. Do you know that you do this? Oh, really? I didn't know. Right, sometimes you need someone else to see you because you can't see yourself. Yes, it's, it's my favorite thing to do, by the way. Yeah. I feel like, in, truthfully, I feel that's what my coach does for me. And I feel like I see people and for the first time I acknowledge them for the, who they really are. And which is pure honesty and I think it's remarkable. It really is, it makes me just really um, excited and, and happy. You know, going back to Socrates, I'm, yeah. I really ex am excited about this man. By the way, he didn't have a really good ending to his life, did he? No, he was brought on trial for uh, corrupting the youth and not believing in the gods of the city. Because <laughs> he was questioning so everything. Yeah, he was questioning people, and we think they were kind of trumped up charges. Um, and then he was sentenced to death. And there's a famous... Um, dialogue by Plato called Phaedo, in which they discuss before Socrates drinks the hemlock um, and dies, they, they discuss, um, is the soul, can you survive death? Oh, and Plato right? was a student. Yeah, Plato was a follower of Socrates, and so Plato wrote this dialogue about Socrates, because Socrates wrote nothing down. But yes, he, he drank the hemlock, okay. and then at the end, he drank the hemlock. And that was it. Not that that will be your <laughs> destiny. Yeah. If you, if you, yeah. but but it's it's really it shows us that he was uncompromising. And going back, and you know, one of the things that I people ask me, where does your confidence come from? Yeah. And one of the uh, biggest insights for me to uh, to have had a chance to work with so many people and realize that there are patterns that we all have the same blocks. And I'm thinking. Well, if everyone has them, I might as well just stop bothering with them, right? And then 
talking about, um, I guess, exposing ourselves because Socrates, uh, you know, walked in a garb that didn't wash. Like I've heard that he wasn't exactly. Yeah, there were certain s stories about him mm -hmm. that he didn't wash his cloak or his robe. He didn't wear sandals. Mm -hmm. um, he was also a reputation of being able to withstand extreme cold, extreme heat. Drink anyone under the table and not be affected. Um, I don't know if you should have that. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe not. But what's really interesting is, you know, in, in the world where I've just been learning about the, this movement toward like stripping yourself of all the things that you think make you a person and figuring out who that really is. Um, it's almost as if we know ourselves without any of the professions, without any of the worldly things that we. we do define ourselves by how much money we have or how many friends we have on Facebook or yeah I think it would be it's very important is to think about yourself without those things like who are you really you know yeah. and there's certain practices that you can take to try to figure that out we've talked about it too yeah. very, very much so so um, Jason what is the life we'll live you? Um, I'm still trying to answer that question. Mm -hmm. I think the, I don't know, the, the journey, that's what I think it is. It's the journey to ex experience life, to feel fully alive, mm -hmm. you know? And it's challenging, but also rewarding, right? So a life well lived is living your life according to who you are and who you want to be. I know there's the authenticity is being thrown around a lot, but I think it's important. Right? Well, that's a big philosophical <clears throat> concept, isn't it? Yes, yes. Um, and, yeah, it goes back to your character. How should you, you could say, order your life? Who do you want to, I mean, that's, when I was going through you know, when I go through my challenges, that's the same thing. When I'm in a challenge, who do I want to be? Yeah. Who am I? Who yeah. do I want to be? Yeah, who am I? Who, who do I want to be? And it's not just about talking about it, but also it's through your activities. Mm -hmm. You know, and so even if you don't want to be gentle that day or good that day, you should act it out anyways, right? You should be good, even though internally you're feeling bad about yourself or something like that. It's, idea of re reaching a concept. Well, yeah, it's yeah. going to make us more, more, yeah. um, I think, aware of what it is that we want and where we want to go. Because if yeah. we don't know what we want to be and where we want to go, then we will not take the steps to, to get there. Um, yeah, and that's what you talk about with purpose. Yes, and yes. So that's a life well lived, too. That's a definitely an important component, is purpose. Having the sense of purpose. Yeah. Did philosophers talk a lot about sense of purpose? I mean, I know they talked about meaning, but did they talk about purpose? I'm really curious because I feel like we live in a very different world where back my my limited understanding is that back then the, we were utilitarian. Like we were, it wasn't, I feel like we didn't really, when you're, when you're struggling with your basic needs, you're not talking about purpose. 
purpose is that self-actualization. Yeah. Self yeah, it is. Um, I think, yeah, philosophers do talk about purpose, but sometimes it's very general in nature. Like, they would discuss about just do human beings, as a human being, um, do they have a purpose? Or how should you order your, your life? And for a lot of the philosophers, you order your life according to reason, right? That's what governs your emotions and everything like that. And that's not, I don't quite agree with that, but nonetheless, that's at least in the ancient tradition you see is reason. That's the, the highest faculty or function that we have and we should govern our lives. According um, to reason. Yeah, according, according to reason. So there's that kind of like general, but also what we talk about nowadays about purpose is the individual purpose, okay. right? Which is different, by yeah. the way. Just so you know my philosophy. <laughs> well, I think the emotions are extremely important. Yeah, but um, they're volatile. Yes, but I believe that embedded in the emotion are beliefs. Oh, interesting. Embedded in the emotions are beliefs. And this goes to the philosopher Martha Nussbaum. And so <clears throat> the emotions are embedded with like beliefs. And so, for example, like being angry, right? You being angry, what does that mean? What's embedded in that is a belief that you've been harmed in some way, right? Um, and so, and so, emotions are not, in principle, irrational. Okay. They can either be rational or irrational, true or false, depending upon the beliefs. So, right? can I stop you right there? Yes. So, this is very interesting. So, anger. It means that you have been harmed. It's the belief. It's the belief that, that we have been, been harmed. Yes, or somebody that you care about has, has been harmed, or something around you that you care about has been harmed. Okay. Right? And so, and what happens, guess what happens when, say, you're angry at somebody, and then they say, no, I really didn't do that. The belief, it, the emotion goes away, right? You're like, oh, dude, I'm sorry I was angry at you because I didn't. It's because oh. your, your belief was your belief has changed. So belief is basically underneath <clears throat> that anger, right? Mm -hmm. The belief that you have been somehow affected or harmed or the world around you has been harmed. Yes. That's very interesting. So how would you, what would you say, using philosophical principle for someone who is just really pissed off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about something? Um, <clears throat> you have to identify like what has been harmed. What, and have they, is it, actual harm okay. right or and perceived. yeah or yeah is it perceived harm and um, also investigate what's doing the harming right and is it intentional unintentional that type of thing mm -hmm. and figure out kind of where that anger is at because that anger is usually embedded in some sort of belief where someone's like angry about the world or something that's embedded that the world is harming you in some way but examining where that belief comes from and if you're able to modify that or change it then your anger will dissipate. So Jason you work people you work with people one-on-one -on -one, you coach them with philosophical principles and you have workshops that people can attend what do you notice when you work with people what is is there like a, a pattern that people come to you with or an insight into our minds 
I think a lot of people come for that longing for, you know, living a good life. I mean, they're searching for something, right? And maybe they've tried other means and it's not working out for them. And so maybe they need to hit it from like a different angle. And that's what I try to provide. I mean, it's not only through, I work, I help people try to examine their lives through like philosophical inquiry, but also art, literature, mm -hmm. poetry, mm -hmm. um, and literature can speak to you and can provide a lot of meaning. And that's what I do in my meetups. You know, I, you know, piece of literature, but also with individual clients. Like I usually start off with, you know, Nietzsche's four questions of conscience. The searching, the people, you know, yeah. people constantly searching. Does that maybe come from expectations of what life should be like? Yeah. Or they notice that something's wrong. Ah. And they're not sure what that is. So something is... Yeah, the why is my life not going as it's supposed to go? As it's, you know, supposed to go textbook, you know? Right. Like how we all imagine our lives or how society tells you how your life should be going, right? And some of us are blindly following the rules and life is still not. That's right. And so there's, a, there's a kind of a funny saying that um, I got to the top of the ladder but realized it was leaned against the wrong wall. Oh, I love <laughs> right? that. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sometimes, yeah, we... I work with people, with some people that have done everything, you know, with college, have the house, the, <clears throat> the kids, and the dog, and the job, and everything, All but they're it. still not satisfied, and so they feel that something is not right, mm -hmm. and um, some people don't want to go and see, you know, a psychotherapist, or a psychoanalyst, or something like that, they want to try it through different means. So where can people find you? I mean, are you kidding me? We have 45 minutes of this. Oh, we've we talked for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you? Well, they can find me at uh, philosophicalliving.com. Okay, and we'll link to that. And I also have a meetup group here in Minneapolis. What is it called? Um, the Art of Living Workshop. The Art of Living Workshop. We will link to those as well. Great. <laughs> Great. Jason, always it's a joy to to see you and to talk to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have uh, liked this conversation, you can find Jason. Go check him out if you're here in Minneapolis. And if you've liked this uh, video, please like and subscribe. And we'll be back for more insights into what makes us happy. Until next time, bye.